0: our series that we began last week entitled Look at That Body. We're trying to figure out how do we think about this body that God gave to us because it seems to me that especially if you're coming from a religious background or a church background, we don't know what to do with this thing that we call the body. It seems like we're always struggling with this idea of why did God give it to us and, and so how is there why is there so much struggle that's involved with it? It feels like at least the church historic seems to kind of tend towards a very negative view of the body and the things of the body, even going so far as to say that it's less than spiritual or even in some situations. Some of the earliest heresies in the Christian church taught that the body was inherently evil or dirty or disgusting. But if you just start from the very beginning of the Bible, you'll see that that's not God's thought at all. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, after God creates the body, he steps back and he says, it is very good that our bodies are inherently good. They were intended to be a gift from God to us to live his life here on the earth. And so our existence is bodily. This goes back to what Randy was sharing in the communion comments. We don't have a body. We are body. Everything that we perceive by way of reality is in and through these bodies that God gave to us and tend to be a gift and also good. And just so you know where we end up, it seems that from beginning with creation to the very end, it's still body. Like, the end of our story is this idea of resurrection, which, by the way, next week is Easter. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. You should be here. But it's not, resurrection has never meant just life after death in some way where, you know, our spirits go off into heaven and float around like Casper the Friendly Ghost. But resurrection has always meant, no, bodies come back to life again. Now, here's the deal. It will be a, a, door, a different body. It's going to be immortal, and it's going to be imperishable, but it still is bodily, reflecting like Jesus' resurrection. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, according to the Bible, and so it will mirror something like that. So here's where we concluded things off last week. That is, you should then make peace with your body. And this is important because, especially in our day and age and culture, there's a lot of body hatred. There's, I mean. People, they hate their body, they don't like the way they look. They become obsessed with it. We get magazine covers that tell us you're supposed to look like this or be like this. And I just want you to know, just because it's been intended as a gift from God, you should make peace with your body. And you should also come to see it as inherently good. And in it then, that you should not consider to be inferior or less significant than the spiritual life, but rather in the end, the Bible tells us that we should care for and cherish our bodies in a way that reflects proper stewardship. But here's the question for us today. In the words of Dallas Willard it is this: How do we get our bodies to be the primary our primary ally in Christ's likeness? How do we get these things that God gave us that we call bodies to work with us and to cooperate with us to be our primary ally in our quest to be like Jesus? Because I don't know if you're like me or not, but it feels like the thing that oftentimes sabotages me from being more like Jesus is this body. Like, when my heart is bent towards Jesus, when my thoughts are bent towards Jesus, I don't seem to be able to go very much time before it feels like my body is getting in the way and sabotaging my entire intent and desire to want to be faithful to or like Jesus. And some of you understand this and you feel this. It goes back to the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans 7. We read this back in January when we did that Change Anything series where he struggled with, I wanted to go in this direction and do these things, but then I kept doing the wrong thing. Here's what he said. Listen to this. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do. Now, that's a life verse for somebody right there. Like, that could be a whole sermon. I, <laughs> I don't get what it is that I end up doing. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate... I do. Anyone anyone relate to that? Yes, we can all relate to that. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree then that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, it's like an Abbott and Costello routine, right? That's what it it feels like. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So this is the law I find at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I do delight in God's law but yet I see another law at work that's in me, and it's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. But now listen, he doesn't finish with that. He goes on and says this, who's going to rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Verse 25 is the key here. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, here's the key for How do we get into that deliverance? How do we let the Lord Jesus Christ deliver us from this predicament where it feels like we want to go this direction, we want to head this way, but our body gets in the way and sabotages us, and we move in a different direction. And you probably experience this on a daily basis. For those of you who have weight loss goals, you know, you could wake up that morning, you go to the gym, you got great intentions, you got, right, I mean, I'm the, today, I'm going to make all the right choices, I'm going to eat the right foods, and then you go to work, and it's somebody's birthday. And then one of your coworkers walks in with a whole tray full of cupcakes. And we're not talking just any cupcakes, we're talking about the ones that had the frosting so high you could hide a small child inside of it. Those kind of cupcakes. And what happens? Something in our body that seems to be originating in both the taste buds and in the stomach is crying out to sabotage whatever intention you had early that morning, whatever desire you might have woken up with to do the right thing and to make the right choices. And sometimes you can experience this on other levels. Like how many times, like have you ever been to church camp and by the end of the week you're like, I just love Jesus, like I have, n- I have never loved Jesus more than I do right now, and when I go home, I'm going to be like this, and I'm going to obey every word that comes from my parents' mouth, amen, and I'm no longer going to fight with my brother and sister, and I'm going to make these choices, and do it. And then you go right back into the school, you get right back with your old friendship group, and you go, what happened to that? I, mean, I had such strong intentions, and then something took place in the body that seemed to sabotage that. It seems like your body takes over and you have this urge or this need or this impulse or this compulsivity or this feeling, and then we end up, it feels like at least our body sabotages us from the desire to be more like Jesus or at least carrying it out. So here's our question again. How then do we get our bodies to cooperate with us? How do we make our bodies, which are inherently good, our primary ally in Christ's likeness? We need our bodies, like really our fleshly, physical bodies, how do they become increasingly poised to do what is good and then therefore to refrain from what is evil? How do we get the inclinations of wrongdoing that inhabit the parts of our body to be eliminated, to get the body to serve us rather than to govern our life, which for most people it does, and that seems to be the problem. So let me give you the background story to your body, why this happens, why it feels like it sabotages you so often. Let me give you how this works. The body, your body, is the original and primary place of your dominion and responsibility. And you begin to discover this as you're growing up. Like even as a small child, you begin to discover that your body, your physical body, is the primary place in which you exercise your dominion and you have responsibility over it. And so in it, we could call it sort of a manifestation of your kingdom, and a kingdom is the location of your reign and rule. I have a kingdom, you have a kingdom, God has a kingdom. It's the place where you have dominion, where you reign and rule, what you want to happen, happens. For example, if you walk into my 11-year-old daughter Alex's bedroom, it will be a manifestation of her kingdom, her dominion. Right? You'll see, like, now as a parent, you can exercise your kingdom in opposition to their kingdom and go clean your room, but you just let them be who they are, and you step into their room, and it will be a manifestation of their dominion. It'll be decorated how they want. It will look like they want, right? The posters on her wall are not the posters I put on my wall, right? And the music that comes out of her room might not be the music that comes out of my room. You under, another illustration, ladies, you under, your purse is a manifestation of your kingdom, Right? You have dominion. That's why you're so sen- Don't Don't look at my, that's not your, per- I mean, like, you don't even near your purse because you have in it what you want in it it's, it's organized the way you want it to be. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a connection of your dominion, what you want to happen. For others of you, we could go into your office and your office be a manifestation of your dominion. It will look and be like how you want it to look and be. Okay, you get that idea, right? The, so the body then is the original and primary place of your dominion and your responsibility. And it's really an amazing thing that God has done for us. Because it's only through it that you have a world in which to live. It's only with and through your body that you actually receive a place in time and space and human history. And through it, you are given a family and a gender and a language, and a national culture, and a set of talents along with opportunities to use them, that your body is an expression of your dominion, your kingdom, and that's why we often say, it's my body, I'll do whatever I want with it, and you can't tell me what to do, right? Because it feels real personal to us in a way like, it is nobody's business, and that, I mean, I feel that too, right? When somebody wants to tell you what to do with your, like, it's my body, it's none of your business what I do with my body, and that's how we feel because of such an intimate connection to my dominion, to my kingdom. And yet we also recognize that our bodies are driven by desires, and, they're ch- and it's channeled by ideas. That's why what we think will manifest in what we do with the body. And we see that there's sensations at work and emotions that how we feel will manifest itself in the body, and that plays over our bodies. And in developing your own dominion, what's ha- this is what will happen. You will quickly realize that there are other kingdoms that do not yield to your will. Even as a child, you figure this out real early on where I've got my kingdom, that kind of primary domain of my body, and I come to discover that there are other people who have their kingdoms that are under their will. They reign and they rule in their dominion, and at times, their dominions do not yield to my dominion kingdoms of other individuals organized around their desires and ideas and sensations and emotions that run contrary to my own. And when those realities don't yield to my will, I begin to experience destructive emotions, things like fear and anger and envy and jealousy and resentment, just to name a few. And you, you feel that too. And so this is how it works in terms of if the body is inherently good, what happened to it that it Indian sabotages? This is what happens. When we come against somebody else's will that does not yield to our own, sometimes those destructive emotions are at work in our life. And you see this very early on even in our story, Genesis chapter 3. You've got Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, and in the body what's happening is they're having collision with the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God. Because he said, don't eat of that one tree, and yet Adam and Eve are looking at that tree and they're thinking, oh, it looks good to me. Look at it, it's shiny, looks delicious, I'm hungry. And then ideas enter their head, planted even by that snake called Satan who comes along and says, God said you couldn't have what? Are you serious? Oh, he just told you that because he doesn't want you to be like him. And all of a sudden those ideas come to play. And how do they manifest? In the body. I mean, that's what happens. The body manifests that contrary contradicting a uh, kingdom, even God's kingdom. And the story goes, on, all of a sudden fear comes up and and resentment comes up and bodies then go into action out of it. In the very next story, the kids of of, of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, same thing, a collision of kingdoms. So Adam has kids and Cain has a kingdom and Abel has a kingdom. They both have dominions and all of a sudden they collide with one another. And when Cain's dominion and Abel's dominion collide, the result is envy and jealousy and anger. And then what does Cain do? His body goes into motion. He kills his brother. So you see, murder is the action that the body takes out of it. See, in time, these destructive emotions will settle into attitudes of hostility and contempt or indifference. So picture in your mind how this works. It begins as a destructive emotion, and if we don't know how to handle that in the manner of Jesus, it will quickly settle into an attitude in our life of hostility and contempt or indifference. And when that hits, then we look forward to seeing other people suffer. We want them to be harmed, and those attitudes then can quickly settle into the body. Destructive emotion, if not dealt with, ends up becoming an attitude, and that attitude settles then into the different parts of our body. For example, the tongue, which we're going to come back to, but when destructive emotions move into attitudes, those if not dealt with can quickly move and inhabit the parts of our body, and now our tongue becomes an instrument of all those destructive emotions. And so all of a sudden, in that, when somebody's living in hostility and contempt and indifference, all of a sudden, their tongue, a part of their body, now engages in gossip, and slander or hate speech or verbal violence or verbal assault or intimidation or threats. Well, how did that happen? Destructive emotions that all of a sudden the parts of our body take up on their own, get inhabited by that, and go to action. It could be other it Could be your fists. It might not be your tongue. Maybe for you, it's your fist. And now you become a violent person, and you hit the people who are closest to you. And why? Well, because their kingdom collided with my kingdom, and you didn't know how to deal with that emotion, and it, it settled in that part of the body. Or it could be in the eyes. You see how that works? Now, here's the good news. On the flip side, our bodies can be poised largely positively as well. Like our bodies can be at the ready to do the right thing in very specific situations where we find ourselves. And sometimes this is where you get news stories where all of a sudden somebody's on the ice fishing or something like that, and they go through the ice, and what happens to people who are around who witness that? They immediately go into motion to rescue that person from the ice, almost without any thought to themselves. or what, Like It's almost instinctively their body just reacted. And, and you ever see, a, like, a burning car in the news story? Somebody rushed in and pulled somebody out of that burning car? Now, it's almost like their body was poised to go into action to do the right thing in that particular situation. In fact, if they had time to think about it, they might have gone, okay, let me put this together. Burning car, gasoline, No, nope. I mean, but something happened. They instinctively went in, and they, well, you, you're like a hero. I don't feel like a hero. I just did what seemed to come naturally to me. See, that's what we want to train our whole body to respond instinctively so that rather than my tongue being used as an instrument for this hostility, I want to use my tongue to bring life and hope and encouragement to do the right thing in any situation that I find myself in. That's what, we, that's what we call character. It's the ability of our bodies to be at the ready to do what is right in those specific situations. And sometimes we even uh, there's TV shows. Anyone watch ABC has a TV show called What Would You Do? You ever see that? Where they put on a hidden camera. They could do a hypothetical situation to see whether somebody will walk by or whether they'll actually intervene and do something about it. Now, all of this, whether we're aware of it or not, This resides in fairly specific parts of our body. And then they reveal themselves to others through our body language and how we carry our bodily parts. So when somebody is angry or in a rage, how does that manifest? In the body. Like it's, very, like, it's very easy to see. You don't have to say anything. You could see it how they carry their body in their body language. You cannot hide sadness or depression or anger or frustration or resentment or bitterness or insecurity very long from your body. Your body will manifest that, right? I mean, you know that. When you see people, like, they're insecure, they're depressed, they're sad. How do you know? You could see it all over their body. Now, on the flip side, you could also see happiness, and you could see joy, and you could see peace. And then what happens is we attempt to read other people's body language, which communicates to us always. In fact, you know, scientists say almost up to 80% of communication is nonverbal, is non-verbal it's body language. So, like even this morning, you, you, you can see, like anyone ever listen to the sermons on podcast? Like totally different experience, right? And well, what's happening? I mean, they're still excellent, but I mean, here's what's, to, totally different experience and Why? Because on the podcast, you can't see body language. You don't see the spit flying out of Sam's mouth, and his eyebrows are pointing up at this particular direction. He's flapping his arms like crazy. Like when you miss it. keep listening to the podcast. We're glad you're listening. But, I mean, you get what I'm saying, right, in terms of sometimes there's something missing because of body language. And that's why the task, then, of becoming more like Jesus must include the body. That redemption and salvation is not just for your soul. And we hear that all the time. Well, Jesus came and saved my soul. Which, well, That's great. And he needs to save your body as well. <laughs> your, your body has to be a part of that salvation process, that Jesus has to save our bodies predominantly from ourselves. And this is what Paul will say in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And now, this life that I live, what? In this body, I now want to live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. See how that works? So it's No, this body that I'm now living in, I want to live in faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. or, or and So I need my body to come over to the side of Jesus. It, too, must be converted. And let me give you a passage that should encourage you. And you should just highlight this in your Bible. If you highlight things, this should be one of them. Romans 8, verse 11. This is what Paul says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, okay? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, Right? You remember the story, right? By the way, did you know next week is Easter? Has anyone said that Next week is Easter. You should be here for that. And we're going to celebrate that moment when the Spirit of God spoke to Jesus' dead body after three days, said, it's time to wake up. If that same Spirit is living in you, then he goes on to say, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to what? Your mortal bodies. You get you get what they're saying, right? He's not talking about like your spiritual body or, or that body you might have at the resurrection. He's talking about the one you're sitting in right now in that chair, your mortal body. That's what he's referring to, right? Not some other body. The one you have, whether you like it or not, your mortal body, if the Spirit of God is living in you, it can give life to your mortal body because of His Spirit who lives in you. And that should be good news. I mean, it should be good news to think, oh yeah, my body no longer has to just do this or just do that. The Spirit of God can live in my life in such a way where it changes now my body to respond as it ought to respond in the manner of Jesus. And this is our question today. How do we get our bodies then to be our primary ally in Christ's likeness? And so that's why Paul will say things like this, Romans chapter 6 verse 13, don't offer yourselves to sin or, or parts of your body to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather now offer yourselves to God. As those who've been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now, if you think the body is inherently evil or dirty or disgusting, that makes no sense. Like, really, you want me to offer parts of my body to God. And Paul says, No, it's not inherently evil, and yes, you should offer every part of your body as an instrument of righteousness now to God. Romans six nineteen. This is what he says here. I am using an example from everyday life because your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves, the parts of your body, as slaves to impurity and to every increasing wickedness, now I want you to offer your, as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. And so your story, when you talk about being converted to Jesus, it should. It should include the body as well. Like, we should hear stories like this. Yeah, at one time in my life, my body was addicted to this drug or to this substance or to this issue. I mean, just my body just craved it. And I encountered Jesus, and now I've been totally freed from those things. Like, I mean, just those addictions are entirely gone from my life. Or our story should include things like, yeah, I used to use my body to manipulate other people. Like, I mean, I would just use it in a way that was just always manipulative. And now, because of Jesus, I'm totally free from I don't use my body like that anymore. Or for you it might be, I used to use my body to manifest my rage. I mean, listen, I could tell you, I used to be a man of war. When somebody hacked me off here or I felt like I was disrespected or mistreated here, I mean, I was a man of war. But now that I've encountered Jesus, my body is now, I use it for peace. I'm a man of peace. That should be a part of our story. And so what happens oftentimes, and you need to know this, especially if, if you're kind of new into the Jesus thing, your bodies have been operating under old programs for sometimes a long time. Like for some of you, like like decades and decades, your body has been running under old programs. And so what happens is you might have this moment where you give your life to Jesus, and you're thinking, oh, I love Jesus now. This is awesome. He's great. I love him. We're like, we're like this. And then you walk out, and you find that your tongue keeps using those words. Or your body keeps responding in this situation in this manner, and then it's easy to get all discouraged. And they're thinking, oh, man, I thought I... I thought I became a Christian. Like, I thought I gave myself to Jesus. And, like, I I thought I was, and, and you might walk away all disappointed. thinking, I guess it didn't take, you know, don't work with me. You know, this whole Christian thing might work for others, but doesn't work. I'm saying, no, no, listen to me. It's a process where the Spirit of God has to retrain us with new software, with new programs, and that might take time. Because your body is used to responding in a particular manner and maybe has been for decades. Now it's trying to relearn, oh, no, no, no. Because of the Spirit of God who now lives in me, I can now train my body to respond in this way. And so don't be discouraged by that, but I also don't want you to be shocked if it happens. Like if you walk out and you're like, I just gave my life to Jesus and I'm still doing this. It's okay. Just be, just be as gracious with yourself as God is gracious with you. Your body will need to be retrained. That's what Paul says in Romans 7, 5. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work on our bodies that we bore fruit for death. And that's been happening for years. So we've got to learn a new way. And so in that, you need to know that there will be temptations that will come to your body. I mean, temptations that arise in your body. And what I mean by temptation is inclined to do what is wrong. And it's different for each of us. Right? And you know that, right? I mean, things that tempt me might not tempt you at all. Like you put it in front of me, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's cheese fries. But you could put cheese fries in front of you, and you're just like, look at all that sodium, and look at all that fat. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's delicious. I mean, right? but there are things that you might be tempted by that, to me, I'm just like, Really? I'm, okay. I mean, and so we don't want to judge one another based on our inclinations, our temptations, because they're different for each one. But when they show up, we want to have our bodies inclined in such a way that they make it through the temptation to the other side in the manner of Jesus. But where do those temptations and inclinations reside? Primarily in the parts of our body in our hands, and our feet, and our shoulders, and our eyebrows, and our genitals. Yeah, he just said that. Genitals. I said that. Okay. And tongue. And our overall posture. These are the various tendencies in that when they present themselves in our body, our body sometimes can move independently of even our overall intentions to the contrary. And let me go back to one that I think is important. The Bible even tells us. Uh, Jesus' brother, James, he writes a letter and in it he points to one body part. He says, You know what the hardest body part to tame is? It's the tongue. And he'll say it back in James chapter three, verse five and six, the tongue is a small part of the body. Like when you like overall it's just so small but it makes great boast. Unless you're Gene Simmons of Kiss, then it's a pretty big part of the body, but I mean, for the rest of us, consider, it's my ADD moment, sorry. Okay. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself set on fire by hell. I would say the tongue perhaps might be the last bodily part to submit to goodness and rightness, but God's grace must come in and inhabit our tongue, and then his goodness and grace must govern it. So let's talk then. What do we do? How do we make it become a primary? Let me give me five things. We'll be done. Five things. Number one, and this is the hardest, so I want you to notice up front, this is the hardest thing, but number one, we must surrender our body as no longer being our property to do whatever we want with it. We must come to surrender our body and begin to see that we are no longer free to do whatever we want with it because it belongs to somebody else. And this is difficult. Even as Americans, you we keep going back to that idea of like it's in my body, no one tell me what I can do with it. I mean, but here, for those of us who are following after Jesus, what we've confessed is Jesus is our Lord. And if Jesus is our Lord, what that means is we are yielding to him and his kingdom the sovereign rights to dictate what we can and cannot do with our bodies it will mean for us a conscious decision to relinquish the idea that it's my body, I can do whatever I want with it. Well, not if you belong to Jesus. Because if he purchased you on the cross and paid a price for you, it includes your body, and now we've given him sovereign rights to tell us what we can and cannot do with our bodies. And I will not for a moment try to pretend that that's an easy thing, because it's not. Because the kingdom of Sam often collides with the kingdom of Jesus. And the goal that Sam has in his kingdom is to somehow yield to the kingdom of Jesus. But in the end, what that means is how do I get into this place where I recognize that theologically, the entirety of who I am, including my body, now belongs to Jesus. He's the one that rescued me from death and he brought me to life. And he paid a huge price for that rescue on the cross. And thus, it's no longer my own. It belongs to him and now it needs to be used for his purposes and his glory. And this is why Paul will even say about your individual bodies, they belong to Jesus and to the the larger body of Christ. That's why what we do with it does matter. And so when you say, I can do whatever I want, what I do with my body doesn't affect anybody else, the truth is, actually, no, we're such social creatures, especially in the church, that what you do with your body does affect and impact others around you. In fact, there was a situation in the first century in the church of Corinth where people in the church were sleeping with prostitutes. That's what they were doing. And Paul had to figure out, how do I deal with this? Like, how do I, how do I write a letter and try to shape them and go and guide them to not do that anymore? And the way he did that was, well, you need to theologically think about your body and who it really belongs to. Here's what Paul will say in this situation. He says, verse thir- the end of verse 13, The body, however, is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, if you're a Greek at the time, that's crazy talk, right? Because the body is dirty and disgusting, so this is a novel idea. Verse 14, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitutes? No. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, he's one with her in body, for it said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So you should flee from sexual immorality, because all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually... Sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? So this is what he says here. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, you should honor God with your bodies. I mean, what Paul's saying is, the reason why you shouldn't sleep with prostitutes is because that body that you're doing that with, does not belong to you? It belongs to Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't have that for your body. And that's a tough thing. How, how, do, you, how do you release control to say, Jesus is in control, even of my body. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so you might be thinking, yeah, Sam, but my body wants to have sex with my girlfriend, to which I would say, well, of course it does. (laughs) I mean, of course. I mean, well, I'm going to be shocked by that revelation. I mean, uh, we get that. But your body isn't to govern itself. It's been purchased by Jesus. Now, Jesus will govern your body. And so we surrender our body and its purposes to him. And and that then sometimes trumps biologically, hormonally, the pattern of this world, what it's telling us to do. And here's what you need to know. You will not drift into this position. Like just that idea of, you know, Jesus is in control of my body, you won't accidentally wake up in the morning with that as your mindset. You will intentionally have to say, Jesus, I am surrendering my body to you. So here's what I think you should do. Do this at least once a year, if not more. But here's what I think you should do. You should lay down flat on your back if you want. Make sure everyone else is out of the house so you're not interrupted. And just lay there. And I want you to meditate on your body. And then I want you to pray and release every part of your body to Jesus. And we just start from the top of your head, working all the way down to the soles of your feet. And every part of your body, just give over and release to Jesus. God, I give you what little hair on my head is left. I give it right. I mean, you get, I, mean, I give you my brain and my thoughts and the thing, Right. I give you my mouth, and I want you to use it as Jesus would use. Let my words be an encouragement and a source of life and hope to everybody around me. Use my hand. I mean, and I'd say don't emphasize the negative. Like, you can, you can think about your body like, oh, don't let me sin here. Don't, I mean, you could say those things, but accentuate the positive. I, Jesus, I want you to use my hands in a way that reflects your glory, that you would use your hands, Jesus. Take my feet where you would go. Let my, I mean, you get, well, that's, you should do that. And then when you're done, you should just get up and just praise God with your whole body, right? Nobody's there. You can act a fool. It's all right. I mean, just with your whole body, worship and praise God as a manifestation that it belongs to Him. Number two. Number one is surrender your body to Jesus. Number two is practice the classical spiritual disciplines. Now, we don't do this much in our day and age because we don't like them, because they don't feel comfortable. Like this whole idea of fasting, like I'd much rather eat a cheeseburger. Like cheeseburger, fasting, I'm choosing cheeseburger. But there's something that's wise about entering into the classic spiritual disciplines because they engage the body and they prepare it to respond instinctively in the manner of Jesus. In fact, you might be thinking to yourself, like Jesus himself, like how did he on the cross with people killing him, like in the moment, pronounce forgiveness to those who were killing him? You know how he did that? A lifetime of spiritual disciplines. Like, it wasn't like just he stepped up to bat for the first time. Oh, look, it's a baseball bat. What do I do? No, no. He spent his entire life in prayer and fasting and solitude and silence and meditation and worship and celebration. I mean, these are the classical spiritual disciplines that prepared Jesus even for that moment where he would be on the cross and pronounce forgiveness. And we know this to be true in every part of our life. Like, nobody, never playing baseball, wants to, you can't step up to the plate with two outs, the ninth inning, bases loaded, and think you're going to hit a home run. How does that happen? A lifetime of training and preparation. Like, nobody steps up to the piano on the stage and plays a brilliant concerto by Mozart. That doesn't just just happen. How does that happen? A lifetime full of training, learning the scales and the notes and the right right techniques. And that's how that works. That's what the classic spiritual disciplines are for us. When we engage in things like, you think being diagnosed with fasting or with with cancer is difficult? Being diagnosed with cancer is difficult? It is. And and It's going to be painful but your body will be better equipped to handle it when it's experienced in fasting. Like when you've already had to deny your body what it wanted, you'll be far better equipped to, in that moment where you need to deal with that diagnosis. And so when we enter into things like fasting and solitude and prayer and silence and meditation and study and simplicity and service and submission, confession and worship and celebration, we can handle it better. These are the spiritual exercises that get us ready for that big moment. Number three. No longer idolize your body. How do, we make our, how do we make our body a primary ally for us in likeness? No longer idolize your body. Now, some of you right now are thinking, don't worry, I hate mine. Like, I look in the mirror and I hate it. I hate how I look and see these love handles and look at my gut and I don't like this sagging and this stretch. You know, you, you, listen, you can still idolize your body even if you hate it. Because what I mean by idolizing your body is it has become the primary source of concern in your life. Like, that's what your life revolves around. All of your thinking is revolved around your body, and you don't have to love it for that to take place. In fact, I mean, with my OCD, when it kicks in, it is obsessed with the idea that my body is sick and has some sort of disease, and everything revolves around that. See, to not idolize my body means that I'm giving up but to God, all of its concerns and all of its purposes, I will no longer let my body be the object of ultimate concern. I'm no longer going to worry then what's going to happen to it by way of sickness or aging or, I mean, do you know we live in a culture that's obsessed with aging and death? I mean, it's done everything it can to stop it. It's to be, everything revolves around it. We spend billions of dollars every year in America to stop and to put a halt to. It's to say, listen, you will not have the primary concern in my life. I will not, you will not be an idol. I'm relinquishing it to God. God is now in charge of all that. Now, I'm going to take care of this body, but I'm not going to live in fear of it any longer, of what it might do to me. And that's what I mean by no longer letting it idolize us. Number four, I'm not going to misuse my body, misuse our body. Let me give you two primary things in this. We do not misuse our body. One is we're not going to use it as a source of sensual gratification anymore. Now, listen to me. I'm not opposed to bodily pleasure. Don't hear me say that. In fact, God gave you nerve endings in particular parts to be pleasurable, and that's not a bad thing. He says it, it's a good thing. What I mean is that when the things of our body are raised to the level of necessity or dependence, that's an entirely different thing altogether. That's, we become slaves then to our body and to the feelings of our body, and that's where addictions come from. Like an addiction, in the end, is rightfully, and in the end, it is this idea of sensual gratification. My body is crying out for this. It needs this. It's dependent. On this, and then we feed it. That's a misuse of the body. And so, one is we're not going to use it then as a source of sensual gratification, but the other is we're not going to use our body then to dominate or manipulate other people. And this comes in all sorts of ways, doesn't it? I mean, you can, if we really were to meditate on how, what are all the ways that we use our body to dominate or to manipulate other people, it comes all the time. Like sometimes people use it by just dressing all sexy like, like that's a form of manipulating other people. I mean, and some of us have to really control it because, I mean, there's so much sexiness that's exuding out of this body. I mean, I have to really work hard to control. No? Okay. All right. Kelly, come on. Help me out here. No? All right. All right. For some of you, you have sexy bodies and sometimes you use them, manipulate. That's how that kind of works, right? so... Or sometimes just the size of your body in itself. It's so overpowering, it's intimidating, and you use that with other people to get your way. And it can come in all sorts of things, from just sheer power to maybe it's sarcasm from your tongue or that knowing look from your eye that gives the stink eye and everyone around knows, ooh, I mean, you, that's, those are ways that we use our body to uh, misuse our body uh, by way of domination or manipulation. And then let me close with this last thing here. We're going to properly honor and care then for our body. We're going to properly honor and care for this gift that God has given to us, the body. We're going to regard it as holy and inhabited by God. And that will mean withholding then from it, engaging in things that are wrong. But on the positive side, it means we're going to give it proper care of nourishment and exercise and rest. And I I debated on how to close. Like, do I talk about, because, you know, people have written books all over the place trying to make money on this theory and this diet plan. And if you eat, you know, sugar, you're, you know, gluten-free, all this, paleo, this. I mean, you, you don't have to write all those things. And I don't care to advocate any of those things, right? I mean, if you don't eat parsnips tonight, I'm okay, right? You're not gonna, you are not have to be embarrassed around me. I don't, I, don't, I don't care about that. So I'm not interested in that. But we do know that scientifically there are some things that are good for us, and we know scientifically there's things that just are not so good. And sometimes it gets confusing because it doesn't feel like one week they come out with a study that says eggs are bad and then the next week eggs are great for you. You know, one week, don't drink coffee, it'll kill you. The next week, coffee's great. I mean, so you don't know, who do I listen to? But we, I mean, smoking's probably not going to make a comeback, right? I mean, I mean... And I'm not trying to put guilt on you. If you smoke, you know, hey, good luck. I hope you, but I mean, it's probably, we're probably not going to get the study this week that says, surprise, smoking is really fantastic for your body. That's probably not going to. And we know a sedentary life that has no exercise, the scientists have kind of proved that that's not a good idea. Like your body was built and needs some form of physical activity and exercise. We know that to be true. And so... Let me just say this out loud. Just say You should do what's necessary by way of proper nutrition and exercise to take care of your body. But I just wanted to close with this one thing because we don't hear about it much in our culture. And in fact, I think our culture kind of dismisses it. And that is the idea of your body needs rest. Like just this idea of Sabbath rest is a part of God's design for your body. Because what I find is most of us are living life exhausted. Like, we're just always so tired. We're always so exhausted. We're always just so overwhelmed with everything that's going on. And I'm telling you, God, never intended that for your body. In fact, you, in our story, God just has rhythms, doesn't he? And seasons and daytime and nighttime. And uh, he even says, no, you need to take a whole day where you don't do it, like a, a Sabbath rest where you don't do anything. I didn't do anything. If I need a day of rest, you need a day of I mean, this is what God gives to us by way of gift, that peace is supposed to be a condition of our body. Because here's what I, here's what I discovered. When your body is exhausted, your body quickly becomes the focal point of your attention. Like, you feel everything when you're tired. Like, you're just so aware of what's happening in your body, and it's so easy then for what it wants and what it needs and its tendencies to come out with such strength. And that's why, for some of you, the reason why you struggle with sin so often in the midst of your exhaustion is the exhaustion itself. Like, when you're in that place where you're just overwhelmed and you're so tired, then that's when all of a sudden food calls you in a way that it normally doesn't. Or drugs calls you in a way that normally doesn't. Or illicit relationships. They all scream louder in that point. So your body is not at peace. It's not living in Sabbath. And so you want one of the most spiritual things you could do? Here's your advice from your pastor today. Go home and take a nap. That could be one of the most spiritual things you could do to let your body become a primary ally in Christ's likeness. Just go home and get some rest. Unless there's a really good basketball game on, then you should watch that. But after it's over, get some rest. Or sometimes in between. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to surrender our bodies to Jesus. We're going to practice the spiritual disciplines. We're going to no longer idolize our bodies. We're not going to misuse our bodies. And then we're going to properly care for our bodies through nourishment and exercise and rest. And in so doing, we're going to let the Spirit of God that dwells within us give life to these mortal bodies to prepare them and equip them to respond instinctively in the way of Jesus in every situation and circumstance we find ourselves. Amen? Let's pray to that end. Father, we give you thanks for our body, and even though it confuses us at times and it feels like it's always getting in the way or even sabotaging us, we lift them up to you and say thank you for them, and now we surrender them to you and ask that you would teach us to use them in a way that reflects you and honors you and bring glory to the one who sits at your right hand, the Lord Jesus Christ. We really do want our bodies to serve as our primary ally in becoming more like your son. So whatever it is that we need by way of conviction walking out of here, whatever change of life, whatever habit we need to get overcome, I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to do just that, that these bodies might be a blessing not only to us, but to those around us. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Our last task for the morning is to take up our tithes and offerings and those connection cards, which means a bucket's just about to go by your row. And when it does, if you could drop those in, that'd be great. And I do want to say, for those of you who are giving your tithes and offerings, this is an act of faith. You are trusting God that when I release this, He's going to provide for you and take care of you. And my prayer is that He will bless you in it as you take up tithes and offerings.